Well, good morning, everybody. Three Saturdays ago, got a knock on the door in the morning. Went to answer the door, and there was a man, very nicely dressed, suit, tie, and he had an invitation that he offered me, an invitation to celebrate the resurrection. Well, it just so happens that I quickly figured out what particular religion this man was from, and I also knew that he did not believe in the physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus. His particular religion believes that Christ only rose spiritually. And so I was, I was uh, as I've done before, and I uh, asked him, I said, you know, <clears throat> can you tell me from your religion, your beliefs, if I got stabbed in the back with a 10-inch knife and I only had three minutes to live, what could you tell me from your religion, your faith, how I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die? And, you, and I've only got three minutes to hear what you have to say. Well, he kind of fumbled around and said, well, actually, there's only 144,000 are going to make it into heaven and these kinds of things. And I, I said, well, then, then you can't offer me any hope. Well, he kind of goes on like this. I said, I've only got two minutes left and you haven't told me anything yet. I want to know for sure that if, when I die in less than two minutes, how I can get to heaven and that I'm on my way to heaven. And finally, in frustration, he says, you can't know. And I said, well, you know, I've got some good news for you. Because in 1 John 5.13, it says, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Couldn't, what that means, what the Bible's telling us, that you can know sitting right where you're at and where I'm standing here, we can absolutely know for sure that when our last breath is taken, we'll be in heaven. And he turned around and he just simply walked away. He didn't even say bye or anything like that. He just turned around and walked away. A couple years before that, <clears throat> uh, a, uh, two uh, ladies from the same particular religion came and I was in the garage working on something and they walked in and, and they just started talking. And, and the first thing I asked them, I said, you know, who raised Jesus from the dead? And they said, God raised Jesus from the dead. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And right away, you could see the look on their face like, uh-oh, I think we're getting set up here. <laughs> I said, but you know, the Bible also says something else. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So in Galatians 1.1, the Father raised the Son from the dead. And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says this, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised Jesus from the dead shall quicken or make alive your mortal bodies, mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So now we have the Father that raised the Son from the dead, and we have the Spirit that raised the Son from the dead, the Holy Spirit. And then I said, but did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ says he was going to raise himself from the dead? And they said, absolutely not. I said, well, let me show you in the Bible. And I opened up to John. I happen to have a Bible because when you see him walking up the street, I kind of run in the house real quick and get my Bible. That sort of thing. So I had my Bible. And I had, it, I had that, that passage ready. And I said, can you read this? And they said, well, the Bible doesn't say that. I said, well, here it is. Here, you, you read it. You, you read it. They said, nope, doesn't say that. Uh, we've got to go. And so they picked up their briefcase and they turned around and walked away. They, they weren't willing to listen to this verse. This is Jesus saying in John chapter 2 and verse 19 to 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. Because they pointed out to Jesus this beautiful temple of Herod's temple. And Jesus said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he, that is Jesus, spake of the temple of his body. He was going to raise it up. So you have the Father, Galatians 1.1. You have the Spirit in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. You have the Son in John chapter 2 verse 19. But then in Acts 13.30, it says this very simply, but God raised him from the dead. So we know that Christ was claiming equality with God. Now this morning, what I'd like to do in just the time that we have left is to just talk about four things, or three things, excuse me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was either the worst hoax that was ever perpetrated in human history, the worst hoax, or it is historical fact. Number two, why was Christ raised from the dead? And then number three, what does Christ's resurrection mean for you and I today? Well, first of all, in order to have a resurrection, you have to have what first? Death. You have to have a death. So turn with me to Mark chapter 15 and verse starting. We'll just read two verses here. Mark chapter 15 and verse 44. And it says this. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Now, in that time, there had to have been at least four confirmations of death before it's verified. So it wasn't just the, the opinion of one person. Before the centurion 
declared the person dead, there had to have been four witnesses from the executioners, according to um, ancient writings. And so it wasn't just a matter of the centurion. Even though these, these executioners were absolutely expert in determining death, they knew when a person died because it was a daily occurrence with them. That's what, that was their job. And so they went, the centurion verified the death, went to Pilate and proclaimed the death of Christ. And so Christ also prophesied his death. Let's turn to Matthew. We're going to do a little uh, Bible drill this morning. Matthew chapter 16, if you could look with me. Just some amazing verses. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 21. And it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and notice this, and be raised the third day. So he prophesied before it even happened exactly what was going to happen. So look over just a little bit to um, chapter 17 and uh, verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Down to verse 22 of Matthew 17. Now while they were saying, staying in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 18. Matthew 20 and 18. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day, he will rise again. Now, it was interesting they said that he would be crucified. Well, the method of death for the Jewish nation was not crucifixion. It was stoning. So he was saying that he was going to be crucified. Not stoned to death, but crucified. So he was very specific in prophesying the kind of the death that he was going to experience. Uh, jump over to chapter 26. Chapter 26 and verse 32. And after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. We could go through another scripture 
Mark uh, chapter, let's do that real quickly. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 10. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly told them he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and then he was going to rise again. And even though he clearly told them this, they still didn't believe. They still didn't understand. Now, the interesting thing is is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written in the lifetime of the people that were there when these events occurred. And if any of this was not true, then people could easily say, well, we were there, and that's not how it happened. There is no verifiable documents, credible documents, that refute the accounts of the Lord's crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. It happened. But one of the things that I thought was so interesting when I was doing a study on this was from a man named Josephus. Now, Josephus was not a Christian. He was a, Jew, he was a Jewish historian towards the end of the first century. And he worked for the Roman government. And in his, his manuscripts that he wrote, one, one is called the Antiquities. Uh, let me quote to you what he said. It was very interesting. Um, he said, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews and also many Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross upon his impeachment by the principal man among us, those who had loved from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. The divine prophets, having spoken, spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now, the race of Christians so named from him has not died out. This is from a person that's not a Christian, who is a historian at that time. And so we have accounts of not only uh, the Gospels, Christ's own words, but also from historians at that time. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians Fifteen, And let's just begin reading at verse 1. This is Paul writing to the, the Christians at Corinth, and he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered... To you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, 
and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Over 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. Now, some people say, some critics of the Bible say, uh, they were just hallucinating. Well, a hallucination is a dream that's only done by one person. I mean, you can't share in my dreams. Uh, for example, I, you know, if I dream that I'm, I'm going to uh, go fishing, and I wake up in the morning, I said, hey, did you enjoy that trip? Wasn't that neat? And you're going, wait, what are you talking about? Well, you know, that. no, I can't share that, you know, in the same dream. Hallucinations are individual events. And so it couldn't be that 500 people at one time hallucinated on the same thing. Psychologists said, one psychologist said, if, if 500 people hallucinated about the same thing at one time, that's a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it, it just couldn't happen. Now, the, um, there were two disciples right after the crucifixion. They were walking from Jerusalem back to their home in Emmaus, about seven miles walk. And let's, uh, let's read about that real quickly in Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. And we'll, be, we'll begin at verse... 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another, <clears throat> excuse me, as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas, uh, Cleopas answered and said to him, are you, the are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there these days? And he said to them, what things? So they answered, or they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all of the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find the body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? 
And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. What a tremendous thing it was. But what I want to talk about is the tomb. Okay? So at the tomb, the Jews, of course, convinced Pilate that uh, he had prophesied that he was going to rise again the third day, so they, they wanted to set a watch. And so Pilate uh, allowed that to happen and uh, to take a guard. Now the thing is, <clears throat> a lot of people say, well, these were temple guards. They weren't the regular Roman guards. And uh, so, what, so the question is, what's the difference between a temple guard and a Roman guard? And did a little study on this. It was kind of interesting. Um, a Roman guard, the penalty for falling asleep on the job, on your watch, was what? Death. No questions asked. You were immediately, uh, it was immediately executed. But it's different with a temple guard. A temple guard, under the um, supervision of the chief priests, if they were caught sleeping, <laughs> the priest that caught them sleeping would take a torch and set their robes on fire while they were sleeping. Give them a hot foot. And then, when they would wake up, obviously, and put it out, then they would get a beating for falling asleep at the guard. So here you've got a Roman guard, and you've got a temple guard, and the punishment is quite different. And so the Romans, the Roman guard consisted of a group of, of uh, soldiers between 10 and 30. And if they woke up, so to speak, and saw that the stone had been rolled away, you would think, well, they would just simply roll it back and, you know, claim, you know, no one came in. But they didn't do that. They didn't roll the stone back into its place because it was off by itself. But what was sitting on that stone? It was an angel. And they fell and fainted as dead men. And they got up. Now, it, at first I thought all of them went in to talk to the chief priest, but the Bible says some of them. So not all of them went and reported. And they didn't go to Pilate. They went to the chief priest. Because if they went to Pilate and said, uh, well, I, we must have fallen asleep, that would have been their execution. So they go to the chief priest, and the chief priest says, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, we're going to make it right. We'll, we'll go to Pilate ourselves, and, uh, and you'll be okay. And then they gave him some money. They never questioned the fact that, are you sure that there was no one in the tomb? They never asked that. They assumed it. And what's interesting is when you find this, um, 
Well, first of all, there's a Codex Bezia, B-E-Z-A-E. It was a second century manuscript, and it's in the Cambridge University, uh, University Library right now. And uh, again, written in the second century. And it says that this particular stone that's recorded in uh, Matthew and Mark was, it would take 20 men to move it. Now, in Matthew 2760, we don't have time to, to read it, but it's referred to as a great stone. In Mark 1546, in the Greek, it's referred to as an exceedingly great stone. And the fact that Christ was buried in a rich man's tomb is one of the proofs that he was innocent. Because if he was a guilty criminal, he would have been cast, his body would have been cast into a common grave for all the rest of the criminals. But no, he was, he was granted, Joseph of Arimathea was granted permission to put that body in a separate tomb. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover all the ins and outs of the resurrection or the burial. But just something maybe to whet your appetite, to do a study on it yourself and see this. Now, one other thing, and then we'll continue on to the next step, and that was the method of preparing the body. They would wrap it in claws, but they would wrap it in a crisscross pattern. And in between the courses of wrappings, they would put these spices, the burial spices. And according to um, Mark, or excuse me, John chapter 19, there was a hundred pounds of spices, and these are in the powdered form. A sack of cement is 90 pounds. Some of you guys are in construction, you know what I'm talking about. So a hundred pounds of spices was wrapped in the courses as they were wrapping the body of the Lord Jesus. So when they came in and discovered the body gone, these wrappings just simply fell down. And it would, they weren't unwrapped. They weren't like in a big pile over there. So the body came out, much like you would have a, a cocoon. And so they knew that it was a miracle. And so why was Christ raised from the dead, their next step? In Acts, let's take a look real quickly at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. It says, This Jesus God raised up, of which you are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so... We read also in Romans chapter, we won't turn to it because we're running out of time, but in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says regarding the Lord Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses, our sins, 
and raised for our justification. That is a very, very important word, justification. It's a legal term whereby God declares a person justified without sin, that the sin has been paid for. And this morning, everybody in this room, the Bible says, either is saved or they're lost. Either you've been declared justified by a righteous and holy God, or you have not. And your one breath and your one heartbeat from eternity separated from God. That's why it's important to understand that Christ needed to be raised from the dead so that God can justify guilty sinners as Dave Dixon. Because that's exactly what I am. I'm a sinner. And the one thing that you need to understand, too, and that is this. The one qualification to get to heaven is that you have to be a sinner. A lot of people say, no, wait a minute. No, you have to be a good person. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 5.32, I came to call, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 13.3, he says this, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What does it mean to repent? It means to admit to God that I'm a sinner. That I am guilty. I, it's, not, it's not a fact that, well, I, I just need to do more good works. And, and some people have this idea, like we heard last week, that there's this big balance scale. And that... If you do enough good works, it kind of outweighs your bad works. It doesn't happen. And as, they, as um, I can't remember who was, spoke about this last week, but the thing was, is that if you get pulled over here in Claremont for running a stop sign, and he's writing out a ticket, and you say, wait a minute, officer, I, I just cut my neighbor's lawn this morning. I mean... Doesn't that offset the running the stop sign? Of course not. And for us to think that we could do enough good works to balance out our bad works, it doesn't happen. Now, someone say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not as bad as that person over here. I, I'm not. I'm not as bad as that person. Well, the Bible tells us that good works are good. There's nothing wrong with good works. God loves good works, but good works will never get you to heaven. Because if it can, then Christ never had to die. If I can somehow do enough good works, Christ would never have to have gone to Calvary and died on the cross for my sins. And so some people, yes, they're better than others. And, but the thing is, that we've all come short of the glory of God. If we're all, again, I've given this example many times, we're all standing at Huntington Beach, right on the shoreline, and we're saying, okay, everybody, on the count of three, we're going to swim to Hawaii. 
Okay? We all jump in. Okay? And I've always pointed out, Andrew's way out in front. And Scotty and all these guys, you know, all these swimmers. They're way out in front. And I'm struggling just to get behind, back past the first breakers, you know, and dodging harpoons and, and all this sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, and so we're, you know, they'll, they'll get further. There's no question. They'll get further. But no one's going to make it to Hawaii. And no one's going to make it to heaven by your good works. Listen to what this says in Titus 3.5. It's not by works of righteousness, not by good works, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's all of God. And so God in his mercy has seen that we can't work our way to heaven, that we're condemned, that we're one heartbeat away from eternity in hell. And he sent his son from heaven to die, not for just some of my sins. He died for all of my sins, past, present, and future. They were all, the penalty for all those sins were laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God punished him instead of punishing me. And when the Lord Jesus was on that cross and that blood flowed from his hands, his head, his side, his back, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no taking away of sin. There's no remission. And it was the perfect shed blood of the Lord Jesus that paid for my sins. Now you say, well, how do you know? I mean, Jesus says, yeah, when I die, I'm going to die for your sins. How do you know? You can't see this stuff. Well, let me tell you, if I said to you, when I die, I'm going to die for your sins. And you say, well, how do I know? But if I say this, and to prove it, three days later, I'm going to raise myself from the dead because I've got the power over sin. That's the proof, people. When Christ says he will rise from the dead, it was proof that when he died on Calvary's cross, he did pay for your sins and mine, all of them. And all, it, all is left for us is just simply to receive that gift of eternal life. But as many as receive him, it tells us in John 1.12, to them he gives the right, the power, to become children of God, even to them that not do good works, even to them that believe on his name. You put your whole faith and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... A little bit more as we close here. What about my sins? Or what about my, my good works? Are, are they really that bad? You know, I, I thought good works were good. Well, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says this. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses, all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, have taken us away. And so the one verse, the verse that when my, my dad was 13 years old, and he was at camp, and there was a preacher, his name was Henry Peterson. And he was preaching about this gospel, this free gift. And my 
my dad couldn't understand it. And he got together with Mr. Peterson and he says, I just, I don't understand it. And Henry Peterson gave him this verse. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And my dad says, that's it. I know that I'll never be turned away if I come to the Lord. And my dad did that when he was 13 years old. He realized that God would never cast him away, that God invited him. John 11:25. Jesus said unto her, that is Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, come to him and admit to him, repent of your sin, admit that you're a lost sinner and you deserve the punishment for your sin, but that you realize that when Christ died 2,000 years ago, when he was buried and when he rose again, that completely sealed the plan of salvation. And all I have to do is by faith, put my faith and trust in what Christ did and that alone, nothing of myself. John 3, verse 3. He said to a very religious man, man name was Nicodemus, he said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can be born again this, where you're sitting. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is realize that Christ died for your sins and that you ask him to be your savior. And he will. Those that come to him, he will in no ways cast out. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious heavenly father, we want to thank you this morning for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it was a completed act. That father, he died once for all. Father, I do pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to trust Christ and him alone for their salvation, that they repent of their sin to admit to you that they are a sinner and they need your salvation. Oh, Father, I pray, speak to their hearts even right now that they may come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came from the beauties of heaven to die for us, to die for our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life if we would only receive him. So, Father, I pray that the things that were said this morning that were of the flesh, that people will forget it, but, Father, the things that you've laid on our hearts that we'll remember these things, and I do pray for the precious souls of those here this morning who are outside of Christ, that they would trust him and trust him alone. And Father, we also want to thank you for the food that you provided for us next door. 
We ask, Father, that you would bless not only the food to our bodies, but bless those that worked very hard, diligently preparing it, and bless the fellowship. We ask this now, giving thanks, and the one who loved us, the one who died for us, and the one who rose again, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.